found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17, on page 1890. Hear the word of God. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because this to this, to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who seek maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, this message today is is going to be a little bit different. Um, Might be a little bit shorter, too. I know, don't get too excited. (laughs) But... I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a history lesson, Um, and I'll try to make it not boring, okay, because I know sometimes history can be boring, but I think it's really important for this particular week, not because it's Father's Day, but just because of what we've just come through in the United Methodist Church, and I know some of you may not know what we just came through, and that's fine, and I'll explain that too, but if we go back in history, back to the time of King David, As many of you know, he was king of Israel, all of Israel, for 40 years, and he was a good king. He was known as a man after God's heart, and he did many wonderful things for the nation of Israel. God chose him to be king, and after him came his son Solomon, who built a temple in Jerusalem, and Solomon started out as a good king, and towards the end of it, he started to fall into sin. But still, for the most part, he was known as a good king. Then God decided. Now, that's important to know that God decided. He actually told us in the word, I'm going to divide this kingdom. He, did he know a division was coming, or did he cause the division? We don't know. But he divided the kingdom. And we had a man named Jeroboam who became king, but wasn't Solomon's son because the people appointed him king. And then we had Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, who was the rightful king. And these two guys didn't get along. And sure enough, there was a civil war and the kingdom split. What was known as the 12 tribes of Israel became 10 and 2. Jeroboam had the ten, which were more in the north of the part of of Israel at that time. And Rehoboam was king over Judah and Benjamin, 
which were in the south at that time. So as time goes on, Jeroboam is just awful. Rehoboam is mediocre. But anyway, as time goes on, you start to see a pattern develop that the kings that came after Jeroboam were just awful. To the point where God said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm bringing in a nation called Assyria. I'm going to take these ten kingdoms and scatter them throughout the world, and they will not be my people. They will not have any identity, and I will have nothing to do with them. And he did, and they were lost. People from all other nations came in and lived in Samaria and in the parts of Israel that used to be the northern kingdom, and it just became not what it was. It was divided. But Judah remained strong, but then they fell into problems with a king named Manasseh. And they, because of what Manasseh did, were taken into exile into Babylon for 70 years, but God let them come back. This kingdom of Judah that came back, and we read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, and how they built the wall and they reestablished the law, they kind of took us into the 400-year period of nothingness in the Bible. There's a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament of 400 years, and it really started with Nehemiah and Ezra. But then we come to the New Testament, and there's a man named Jesus walking around. And he's talking about the kingdom of God, which is at hand. And the leaders who had developed themselves as leaders of that time, over that 400-year period, they didn't want to hear it. They did not want to hear it. It went against everything that they had established. Their pride was too much. They didn't want to hear it. But Jesus' followers, after his resurrection, started to grow stronger. And before you knew it, we had a division. We had Jews and we had Christians. And the division grew and grew very strong. So much so that they would not even interact with one another. They, Jews believed they were right. Christians believed they were right. Christians eventually gave way to the, what we know now today as the Roman Catholic Church. But then, in the 1500s, a man named Martin Luther said, you know, it's been a long time since Jesus walked the earth, and this Catholic Church, they're not doing things the right way. So he said, he wrote down the 99 Theses, nailed them to, the door, so, to a door and said, this is it, we're breaking off. And he started the Lutheran Church. Well, he got the ball rolling, and a lot of people started to say, you know what? We're breaking away from this Catholic Church. And in England, there was a man named John Wesley, who said, we're breaking away from the Church of England because they're not doing things the right way. And he put together a whole doctrine, and he called it Methodism. But there were some people that said, you know what? This whole thing about bishops that you have, John Wesley, we don't think there should be bishops. We think the elders should take over, or should run the church. And in Greek, that word for elder is presbytery. So he formed the Presbyterian Church. But it didn't stop there. There was a guy named um, Joseph Fox, George Fox. Oh, I can't remember now. George Fox. And he said, you know what? I'm really like this one verse in John 16 where he says, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. And he started the Friends Church. And 
So we had these Lutherans, these Methodists, these Presbyterians, these friends, and a bunch of others that were trying to form breaking away from the Catholic Church. We move forward. John Wesley dies, and the Methodist Episcopal Church becomes, four years later, becomes a mainline denomination in the United States. Four years after that, they had an argument, and they said, we don't like bishops. We're breaking off. So we call ourselves the Republican Methodist Church. You ever heard of the Republican Methodist Church? It doesn't exist anymore. Because as time goes on, the Republican Methodist Church joined up with a guy named Philip Otterbein, who was starting the Evangelical United Brethren Church, and they kind of merged together. Well, time goes on, and there's this thing in America called slavery. And people are getting tired of it, especially in the North, where it's not as prominent. It's very prominent in the South. And they say, these slave owners are sinners. They're sinners. And we need to use our influence as a church and stop slavery. Benjamin Lundy from St. Clairsville was one of these people. And they got together with the church, and in the Methodist church they said, you know what? We can't have slavery in the Methodist church. There was a bishop in Georgia who had, his wife had died. He married another woman. That woman owned two slaves. That woman's son owned slaves as well. All of a sudden, this bishop in the Methodist Episcopal church is owning slaves. We've got to do something about this. And so they got rid of him. They cast him out. And meanwhile, the Presbyterians would say, I told you you guys shouldn't have bishops. But anyway... Through all of this, the Baptists are starting to see we shouldn't have slavery. The Baptists say, hey, we're splitting. And they form the Southern Baptist Convention, which we know now today is the largest Protestant denomination in the world. But from that, there was also the Anabaptists, there were Free Baptists, there was all kinds of denominations. But even in that, this Methodist Episcopal Church, they're charging people. All these pews that you like to sit in every week, you would have had to pay to sit in a specific spot. And a group in the South says, you know what? We don't think you should have to pay for your pew. We're breaking off, and we're called the Free Methodist because you can come to church for free. So that's how the Free Methodists started. Oh, and it didn't stop there. There were There's splinters and splits that I don't have time to go over all of them. If I were to show you just the Methodist church, we start out here, I guess on your left-hand side, okay. Start out here, and four years later, we go into two. A few years after that, there are now four, and it just becomes this big conglomerate of Methodist churches who use the name Methodist, but all along the way, the Methodist Episcopal church is going along real strong, even in the Slavery times, when they broke off, that was the biggest split in the Methodist church was over slavery. They became two different churches. There was the African Methodist Episcopal or AME church. There's plenty of AME churches still in America today. And then the Methodist Episcopal church. In the South, they broke off and became Southern Methodist. That's why we have Southern Methodist University in case anybody ever wondered. Good football team, by the way. But anyway, this goes on and on, and they keep splitting and keep splitting until finally 
through the 1900s, the Methodist Episcopal Church is getting strong. They're like the third largest denomination behind the Baptist, Southern Baptist and the Lutherans, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which also had many splits, as well as the Presbyterians. And then finally, they join up with the people who had kind of formed under Philip Otterbein, who was a contemporary of John Wesley, and then they had those Republican Methodists that had joined them, and they said, hey, why don't we come together and form the United Methodist Church? United from the Evangelical United Brethren and Methodist Episcopal, the United Methodist Church. And guess what? Four years later, they started fighting. Four years later, they started fighting over human sexuality. And we know what's happened in 2023. A very large amount of churches have left the United Methodist Church. Many of them have formed a new denomination called the Global Methodist Church. Three things that every single schism in the, in the Methodist Episcopal Church, from the time it started four years after John Wesley's death, three things have caused divisions. Whether or not to have bishops and what their power should be, that was a very common thing in our day and age in the most recent years. Um, slavery was another big thing. And the third thing was something that John Wesley called Christian perfectionism. John Wesley believed that a Christian could come to the point where they no longer sin at all. And that has been a huge debate since the 1780s when he first spoke those words. It has been a huge debate. Can a person become so perfect that they don't sin at all? It would take the grace of God. It would take a miracle of God. And then the question that even John Wesley had was, will it last? He called it sanctification. And that's a word from the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit does sanctify us. But does the Holy Spirit sanctify us to the point of perfection? I don't agree with that. I believe that we work towards that, but we'll never see it until we're in the kingdom of God in heaven. But anyway, that's that aside. So what I'm getting at is, in our history, we fight all the time. Not just the Methodists. The Presbyterians have been through so many. There are so many different Presbyterian churches, and some of them don't even call themselves Presbyterian anymore. There's one over in um, Wheeling, I can't remember the name of it now. It's actually a Presbyterian church, but you wouldn't know it by its name. And they tend to call themselves independent. There's all kinds. So who's right? Are the Baptists right? Are the Lutherans right? Are the Methodists right? If we ask God, you know what he says? Yes and no. Because there's not anything in the Bible that says anything about a denomination. A denomination is a man-made creation because we can't get along. Because John Wesley and John Calvin couldn't agree on predestination. That's why the Presbyterians and the Methodists did not form the same. The Baptists believe very heavily in baptism. Whereas John Wesley believed it was just a sacrament and not something that you had to do for salvation. And I'm not saying the Baptists believe that, but they, there's somewhere in their history there is. But anyway, we all argue over God's word. 
And what does God's word say? Don't repay evil for evil. Bless those who persecute you. And live together in harmony. And John Wesley actually said, before he died, he said, beware of schisms. Don't divide the church. And recently, in the East Ohio Conference, annual conference, which happens every year, a pastor stood up and used that term from John Wesley and basically called us all a bunch of filthy sinners. Um, that's paraphrasing. <laughs> Kathy's not her. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, what do we do? How do we respond when a pastor calls us for disaffiliating, for leaving, because of our beliefs that they have not followed the Bible and they've become very religious, what do we do? How do we, how do we respond? Peter told us, bless them. Bless them. Because that's what Jesus told us. And he quoted Psalm 34 in that. He quoted Psalm 34. The problem is, we do not see into the heart of every person. We see the outside. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, Do not judge by outward appearances, for I have rejected him. I do not judge as man judges. Man looks at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. So when God's looking at the heart, he sees so much that we don't see. We look at someone and we hear their words. We see their actions. We've, we diagnose their, what they do. I mean, there were people that picked this man apart last week and, and just made a laundry list of why he was wrong. Yeah, he was wrong biblically, okay? But should we pick him apart? Should we tear down Bishop Malone for saying amen at the end of his prayer and her attempted apology over one word. We can, but if we do, we're just going to end up in another split. Or do we bless her for stepping up and leading a denomination? I don't, I'm not asking you to answer that because I don't know the answer. The problem is, as we spoke about last week, when we want to do good, sin is right there. Evil is right there. We know what's right. We know what God's word says regarding everything. Not everything, but we know what it says in the Bible. We know whether to follow it or not follow it. We know whether to believe or not believe. We know what it says. And I don't care if you don't want to call something a sin. If God called it a sin, he doesn't care what you say. It's a sin. Okay? We know that. But we're sinners too. And that gives us no right to tell somebody that they're a sinner because they follow this when we're sinners too. That's why we've had so many of these civil wars in our denominations. If we can just step back and realize that God wants us to do two things. Two things, it's that simple. 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. But we can't do that because we got pride, we got power, we got greed, we got all these things that are in us. And sure, it's easy for us to say, hey, this person's full of pride. Look what they're saying. But should we do that? No. That is God's judgment to make. So the reason I'm bringing this up today is the next time I'm with you, we will be part of the global Methodist Church. No longer the United Methodist Church. And we no doubt will be watching what they do, as every church will be watching what they do, how they lead, how they guide. But what I think we should do more than that is look at us and say, is there anything among us that can cause this church to break in half or thirds or fourths? Is there anything that's going to cause anybody here to not want to come here? And if there is, that's what we need to address and take it to God and ask him, how do we get around that? So that we don't find ourselves in a split. We've been very blessed by God to make it this far. A lot of churches don't make it this long. I mean, 1831 or something like that, I think, was when this church started. Maybe earlier. I can't remember now. A long time. What was it? 1839. Thank you, Steve. 1839. That's almost 200 years. That's amazing. I'm sure we've had problems. I know we've had problems. We've had problems when I've been here. But we always get them resolved because we take it to the Lord. So... No matter what happens, someday in history, let me start here. Someday in history, maybe say 40, 50 years ago, if the Lord hasn't returned by then, somebody's going to look back at this breakup of the United Methodist Church and say, here's where they went wrong, here's where they could have done something different. They're going to analyze it. They're going to, just like we did with the, we can look back at slavery and see how the church split then. But, if they happen to look at us, why don't we strive for, they did it right because they trusted God. They didn't trust in themselves, they trusted God. God doesn't care, and I mean that, he doesn't care one way or the other if we are in a denomination. What he cares about is if we love him and we love others. That's what he's looking at. He doesn't care if you say, well, the Methodists got it wrong. I'm going over to the Presbyterians. Oh, the Presbyterians aren't right. I'm going to try the Baptists. Let's try the Lutherans. You know what? Let's start our own. We'll call it the Belair denomination. We'll get every church in Belair. We'll form our own denomination. You think that's going to make it right? No. I mean, it might work. I don't know. But it's not what God is telling us to do. He's telling us to love one another and love him. Love God and love people. It's that simple. If we do that, then as Peter said, his eyes are on the righteous, but those who do evil, he turns his back on. We don't have to fear being that one he turns his back on because we trust him. We are the righteousness of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus. 